So today I would like to look at the ministries of Miriam and Deborah, two great women of Yahweh in the Scriptures. Both of these women were prophets of Yahweh, and thus both of these women held the office that I spoke about last week when I discussed the office of the prophet. They had a close friendship with Yahweh. They were expounders of His Torah. They could give individual people particular instruction. They could intercede on your behalf to the Almighty. And they also had the ability to predict future events in general or predict something specific in a person's life. Now, I talked about Miriam a little bit when I covered the great women in the first two chapters of the book of Exodus. Remember the Hebrew midwives that lied to the Egyptian government? And then we had... Um, uh, Yachabed, and we had Miriam, and then we even had the Egyptian princess. We talked a little bit about her. Well, Miriam was Moses' older sister, and she was the girl who followed the basket along the river and spoke with Pharaoh's daughter when she found the Hebrew baby boy inside the basket. Well, Miriam eventually grew up to be one of the leaders among the children of Israel. We know this from Micah chapter 6, verse 4, where Yahweh says, Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam ahead of you. Now, the King James Version says Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were sent before the people. The word before carries the idea of before your face or in front of you. In other words, to be your leaders. Now, this should be easy to see here because Moses is mentioned first and we know that Moses was sent to be the Savior or the Deliverer of the Israelites from the land of Egypt. Well, according to this text in the prophet Micah spoken by Yahweh, Aaron and Miriam had positions of authority among the people as well. And thus we have the Good News Bible and the New English Translation saying, I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to lead you. Well, Miriam is called a prophetess or a female prophet in Exodus 15. This was after the Israelites had traveled through the Red Sea on dry ground. We read about this in Exodus 15, verses 19 through 21. When Pharaoh's horses with his chariots and horsemen went into the sea, Yahweh brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to Yahweh, for He is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and its rider into the sea. Well, Miriam being called a female prophet or a prophetess aligns with Micah chapter 6 and verse 4. Prophets led others. And here we see her leading the women of Israel in song and in dance. Well, this account right here is mentioned again in Psalm 68, verses 11 through 12. The Lord gave the command, A great company of women brought the good news. The kings of the armies flee. She who stays at home divides the spoil. That great company of women is the women who followed Miriam's lead after the parting of the Red Sea. Commentator, Methodist commentator Adam Clark says that the literal rendering here from the Hebrew text is, quote, of the female preachers there was a great host, end of quote. At BibleHub.com you can compare a Bible verse in 29 English translations of the Bible. 
In Psalm 68, verse 11, 16 of those 29 translations mention women or females. That's missing from the other 13 translations. For instance, the King James Version says, The Lord gave the word, great was the company of those that published it. Why is there a difference here in translation? Well, that phrase in the King James Version, those that published, is in the feminine gender in the Hebrew language. This is why many translations bring it across as great was the company of women or females proclaiming or preaching the good news. Other translations see it just as a collective plural consisting of both male and female. Adam Clark speaks more about this in the rest of his commentary on Psalm 68 verse 11. And also, I would encourage you to read Adam Clark's comments on Isaiah chapter 40 verse 9. Clark points out that it was the women in large groups who would announce the good news of victory to the people that had just won a battle. Adam Clark brings up the women in Exodus 15. He brings up the women, the company of women who announced the slaying of Goliath by David when they said Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. That's 1 Samuel 18, 6-7. And the prophetess and judge Deborah also led the song of victory in Judges 5, which proclaimed the good news that Sisera and his army had been defeated. I'll talk more about that here in a second. I will quickly add here, that it was women, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, who first found the empty tomb of Yeshua and announced the resurrection of Yeshua to his apostles. This too was a great victory over death and the devil. And it was announced by women, which is in alignment with the HCSB rendering of Psalm 68 verse 11, as well as many other English translations. Another text that shows Miriam's authority in Israel, but usually it gets overlooked because of Miriam's sin in this text. This is in Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron complain and murmur against prophet Moses. And Miriam's speech must have been the harshest because she is the one that was struck with the disease of leprosy due to her complaining. So most of the time, this text is read and Miriam's sin is mentioned. How many know that leaders can sin against Yahweh too? It's not just the lay people or the people in the congregation, but leaders can sin. Even Moses disobeyed Yahweh and was not allowed into the promised land. Deuteronomy 32 talks about this because of his not honoring Yahweh in the sight of the people. Look at Numbers 12, 1 through 2. Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married for he had married a Cushite woman. They said, Does Yahweh speak only through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? And Yahweh heard it. The part of this that I want to center in on today is the complaint given by Miriam and Aaron. Does Yahweh speak only through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? Now the complaint here is made because Aaron and Miriam are leaders in the community. It wouldn't make any sense if they were just ordinary lay people among the children of Israel. People who were just followers and not leaders. Remember in Micah 6 verse 4, Yahweh says that He sent Aaron and Miriam to lead along with Moses. 
The problem, though, in Numbers 12 is that they weren't recognizing Yahweh's highest authority on the earth. And that, at that time, was Prophet Moshe. Yahweh had a closer relationship with Moses than he did with anyone else in the world at that time. Thus, they should not have criticized Moses for doing something they just didn't like. The point, though, that they bring up, Yahweh speaks through us too, it shows that both of them had an authoritative position among the community of Israel, not just Aaron the priest, but also Miriam the prophetess. Some try to say that Miriam just led the women in Israel, but that goes against what we learned last week in regards to the prophet. No one would read about a male prophet and then assume that he only led the men in Israel. Prophets were spiritual leaders in the community as a whole. Miriam had the authority to proclaim Yahweh's word to both women and to men. When her and the other women proclaimed or preached the good news of victory in Exodus 15, everyone in the congregation was listening and rejoicing to that proclamation or that preaching. The men were not told to shut their ears because they can't learn anything from women. The authoritative role that the females in Israel could hold is seen even more readily in the ministry of Deborah. In Judges 4, verse 4, we read that Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was both a prophet and a judge over the Israelites. Over the Israelites includes the men of Israel. I want you to notice that this verse mentions Deborah's husband, or at least it's a strong possibility that Deborah's husband is mentioned here. Her husband's name is Lapidoth. Yet Deborah is the prophet and the judge. She was the one raised up to hold these offices, not Lapidoth, her husband. Now based on the totality of Scripture, I believe that Deborah was able to remain submissive to her own husband in the home, yet at the same time she ruled and governed the community of Israel on a spiritual level. Um, also too, just for uh, good facts to know, when Deborah is called the wife of Lapidoth, that could be translated... Uh, Wife of Lapidoth is fine, but it could be translated woman of Lapidoth in Judges 4 verse 4. Um, and Lapidoth in Hebrew is not just a name, it's a word and it means torches. And Rashi says that Deborah was in charge of making the wicks for the sanctuary in the tabernacle. She was the woman of the torches. Or some commentators say she was a fiery woman. Uh, in other words, she was a uh, she was a little feisty, <laughs> a woman of the torches. So that's some other ideas there in Judges chapter 4. But Now when I was growing up and in my teenage years and now in my adulthood, the most common objection that I hear to Deborah being a judge over Israel is this. Well, Deborah was a judge because a man would not step up to the plate. Or Deborah ruled because there were no men fit for the job. I've heard that many times, even in sermons before. Well, first of all, we can't read or make up things and put them in the text that are not there. There is nothing in this text in Judges chapter 4 or Judges chapter 5 that says that. Judges 4 and 5 are the most two extensive chapters in the Bible about Deborah. And neither chapter says anything about Deborah being a judge just because the men weren't doing their job. Furthermore, there are times in Scripture where men were called by Yahweh to do a job 
and they didn't want to do the job. And guess what? Did Yahweh move off of them? No. Yahweh made them do the job. I could give many examples. I'll give one. The prophet Jonah is a good example. Jonah went the opposite direction of Nineveh when he was told to go to Nineveh. But Yahweh wanted him specifically to do the job so bad that the Scripture says that Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish and then the fish spit him up on dry ground and he was still alive. And then he said, Okay, Yahweh, you really must mean business. <laughs> so Yahweh has no problem sending people who don't want to do what he is calling them to do. He can make them do it. Secondarily, the objection that Deborah was just a prophet and a judge because the men weren't rising up to the occasion, that just assumes that a man could step up and be a prophet or a judge. That's not how it worked. You couldn't just step up to a prophet's position. You couldn't just step up to the position of judge. Remember what we covered in the last lesson. Yahweh raises up prophets. People don't just decide one day, well, I think I'll be a prophet. That's not a decision you make. That's a gift that Yahweh gives you. That gift is an office that Yahweh gives people that He chooses and He appoints and He ordains. And the same thing applies to the judges of Israel. Look at Judges 2, 14-19. Yahweh's anger burned against Israel, and He handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them so that they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, Yahweh was against them and brought disaster on them, just as He had promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. Yahweh raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders. But they did not listen to their judges. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods bowing down to them. They quickly turned from the way of their fathers who had walked in obedience to Yahweh's commands. They did not do as their fathers did. Whenever Yahweh raised up a judge for the Israelites, Yahweh was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies. While the judge was still alive, Yahweh was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing them. Whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their fathers, going after other gods to worship and bow down to them. They did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. After chapter 2, as you begin to read in Judges 3, you will see that Yahweh raised up judges to save Yasha the people of Israel. The judges were saviors or deliverers. In Judges 3 verse 9, World English Bible, we read, When the children of Israel cried to Yahweh, Yahweh raised up a Savior, Yasha. That's the same word where Yahweh says He's the only Savior, Yasha. Same word. This text says Yahweh raised up a Savior who saved them, even Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. These saviors, or the judges, they did more than just settle disputes among the people. When we hear the English word judge, we immediately think of maybe Judge Judy <laughs> or the Supreme Court judge, right? Somebody that just judges a case among people. And that's part of the job of an ancient Israelite judge. But there was a period of approximately about 300 years after the death of Yehoshua, son of Nun, 
and the appointment of a king in Israel, there was a time period of around 300 years when there were no kings in Israel and everybody did what they thought Yahweh would be pleased with and Yahweh would raise up judges or leaders to lead the people of Israel and guide them so that they could have someone to follow. At this time in Israel's history, a judge meant that you ruled the people of Israel. You were sent by Yahweh to be a savior to Israel from their sins. The judges would lead battles. They would set a righteous example for the people to follow. They would teach the people the instructions of Yahweh. And they would govern in the judicial cases and the matters and the disputes among the community. This was before the era of the kings of Israel. So the reality here is this. When you study the book of Judges, whichever judge Yahweh raised up, they actually held the highest office in the land at the time. The judge did. Well, whenever one of these judges came on the scene, good things happened because Yahweh was with the judge. Consider Othniel. I just mentioned a moment ago, Judges 3, 10-11 says that the Spirit of Yahweh was on Othniel and the land was peaceful for 40 years during his life. But then, Othniel died and things got bad again. And that's usually how it happened. While a righteous judge was leading the Israelites would have peace 40 years during the days of Othniel. After a while, the judge would die, and guess what would happen? The Israelites would go back to their evil ways. They would go back to serving other Elohim. They would not walk in the commandments of Yahweh. Why? Because a good leader died. Generally, when you have a good leader or good leaders, a community remains in good shape. Every community will ebb and flow and always have problems pop up. But overall, good leaders produce a good community. The influence that a good leader has on a community is seen most clearly in the book of Judges when the judge dies. Because every time that a good leader dies, the Israelites relapse back into sin and transgression of the law. Whereas while the good leader was alive and judging and ruling and leading, the Israelites obeyed the commandments and had peace in the land. When they lost their leader, they lost their faith. Nobody bats an eye when we read about a judge like Othniel or Ehud in chapter 3. Remember old Ehud? Ehud is the one that had a dagger about 18 inches long and he stuck it in Eglon, the king's belly, and the belly come over the handle. You can read about that in Judges chapter 3. It's one of those good children's Bible bedtime stories to read. <laughs> But nobody bats an eye when Othniel is brought up or Ehud or Gideon, chapter 6, Samson, later on in the book of Judges. Nobody bats an eye. Nobody thinks anything bad about that. Everyone recognizes that these men were raised up by Yahweh to lead. Yet when we come to chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Judges where Deborah, the female prophet and judge, and by the way, she's the only judge that's called a prophet in the whole book of Judges. So the female prophet and judge, when she's mentioned and she leads, many people start squirming because they don't like the idea of a female leader. But Deborah is listed right along with these other judges. Yahweh raised up Deborah as both a prophet and a judge. She led the Israelites. In Judges chapter 5, we, we see that she leads a victory song after battle. Judges 5, it says in verses 2 through 3 and verse 7, When the leaders lead in Israel, when the people volunteer, praise Yahweh. 
Listen, kings, pay attention, princes or nobles. I will sing to Yahweh. I will sing praise to, my, to Yahweh, mighty one of Israel. Villages were deserted. They were deserted in Israel until I, Deborah, I rose a mother in Israel. Deborah is likened here. She calls herself a mother to the Israelites. The Israelites are like Deborah's children. What does a mother do to her children? She takes care of them. She leads her children in the right direction. They come to her for comfort. They come to her for instruction. This was Deborah's role over all of Israel. Judges 4 verse 5 says, It was her, Deborah's custom, to sit under the palm tree between Ramon and Bethel in the hill country of Ephesus, and the Israelites went up to her for judgment. Now, if you compare Judges 4, verses 4 through 5, to Exodus 18, verses 13 through 16, you will see that there are striking similarities between Deborah's role and Moses' role. Both of them sat to judge the people, meaning the people would come to them in public to receive instruction. And they taught the people how to follow Yahweh. Some old Israeli commentators say that the reason that Deborah sat under a palm tree was, some of them say, Rashi says, I think, or the Gemara maybe says, that the simple reading is is that she, she owned palm trees. And so she sat under the palm tree. And another commentator says that the palm tree's trunk goes up real high until the branches come out. And Deborah sat under the palm tree because she didn't want to be disguised under a low-hanging tree so that no one could falsely accuse her of any malicious activity in private. I would encourage you to compare this text on the screen in Judges 4 verse 5 with Exodus 18 when Moses would sit and the people would come to Moses for judgment and he would teach the people what? The laws of Yahweh. That's what Deborah did. She would teach the people Yahweh's laws. In Judges 4 verse 6, we see her summoning Barak. She calls for Barak to come to her. Barak is from the tribe of Naphtali. And she tells Barak, Hasn't Yahweh, the mighty one of Israel, commanded you? So she's giving Barak a commandment from Yahweh. Go, deploy the troops on Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the Naphtalites and Zebulonites. Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's forces, his chariots and his army at the Wadi Kishinev to fight against you. And I will hand him over to you. That's an instruction or a command from Yahweh that she relays to Barak. It's not Barak's instructing Deborah. It's Deborah instructing Barak here because Deborah's position was higher than Barak. She was the prophet and the leader and Barak was the general over the army of Israel. Do you know what Barak says here? In Judges 4 verse 8, he says, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. What does Deborah say to him? In verse 9, Deborah says, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take because Yahweh will sell Sisera into a woman's hand. Sisera was the captain of a Canaanite army. And anytime the Israelites would have a battle, whoever would destroy, defeat, or kill the captain was the main man of the battle. And because Barak wouldn't go to battle by himself but wanted the prophet and judge Deborah to go as some kind of a head figure over the battle, Deborah says, you're not going to get to destroy the captain. 
I'm going to allow a woman to destroy the captain so she's going to get the honor and be most blessed in the nation. Well, later in this chapter when Sisera, remember the Canaanite captain, mobilized his troops against the Israelites, Deborah again instructs Barak, Judges 4.14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Move on, for this is the day Yahweh has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't Yahweh gone before you? Again, we see Deborah in charge. She is the one that is instructing Barak because she is the prophet and the judge or leader over Israel. But Deborah's prophecy was right. Sisera the captain got away from the battle. When he saw how badly the troops were doing, every single man in Sisera's army fled. And Sisera's army had 900 chariots of iron. And the armies of Israel wiped them out. And only Sisera the captain was left. He escaped and he fled to the tent of a woman named Yael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. And he fled there because at that time there was peace between King Jabin the Canaanite king, and Heber, the Kenite's family. There was peace between the households. But in the beginning of Judges 4, verse 18 through 21, we read this. Yael went out to greet Sisera and said to him, Come in, my lord. Come in with me. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a rug. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a container of milk and gave him a drink and covered him again. Then he said to her, Stand at the entrance to the tent, and if a man comes and asks you, Is there a man here? Say no. While he was sleeping from exhaustion, Heber's wife, Yael, took a tent peg and grabbed a hammer and went silently to Sisera, and she hammered the peg into his temple and drove it into the ground, and he died. That's another children's bedtime story. Yael was another strong woman of Yahweh. I want you to imagine the craftiness and the wisdom and the courage that it took for Yael to do that. One wrong move. I mean, Sisera is not this little guy. He's the captain. One wrong move, and he may have awoke from his sleep. But she takes that tent peg with the hammer into the temple. Boom, right through the temple into the floor of the tent. Yael is praised in the Song of Deborah in chapter 5. She's called the most blessed of the women. And I believe Yael is what that text that I mentioned earlier in Psalm 68 verses 11 through 12. I believe verse 12 alludes to Yael because after it says a great company of women proclaim the good news, it reads in Psalm 68 verse 12, the kings of the armies flee and she who remains at home divides the spoil. I believe that's a direct reference to Yael, wife of Heber. At the end of chapter 5, we read that the land had rest for 40 years during the time of Deborah. Just like we read at the end of Othniel's life, that the land had rest for 40 years. Deborah's rule brought about the same kind of peace in the land. Nothing negative is ever said about Deborah's rule. She was a righteous prophet. She was a righteous judge. And Yahweh put her in that position. Deborah was a lover of Yahweh. Deborah was a commandment keeper. She was given by Yahweh because the Israelites cried out to Yahweh. He had compassion on them. And he sent Deborah as a prophet and as a leader, just like he sent Othniel, just like he sent Ehud, and just like he sends Gideon in beginning in chapter 6 of the book of Judges. 
Why do we not hear much about Deborah? Well, two reasons are most likely. One is because most people don't preach or talk about the Old Testament anymore. Even though it's the first 75% of our Bible, roughly. This is in the Old Testament, so it's really not for us. We don't really need to talk about it. We'll lay it to the side. Let's center in on the New Testament. But that's just not how we do proper Bible study. And it's in more of an obscure book like the book of Judges. Number two, here's another reason why we probably don't hear much about Deborah. She's a female. She's a woman, and many people in Christianity, including Brother Matthew in the past, think that women aren't supposed to lead over men. Well, Deborah disproves that thinking. Deborah disproves that thinking. What many Christians do today, though, is start with the New Testament epistles of Paul. That's where they start. And they read them out of context, and then they read that understanding back into the Old Testament. And when they read Judges 4 through 5, they think Deborah is a problem that they need to solve rather than inspired scripture that they need to believe. I'm here to tell you that that's backwards. We should start with the Old Testament first and then harmonize the New Testament with the Old Testament. Many Christians do the same thing with the dietary laws. Let's go to the New Testament first. They do the same thing with the feast days. Let's go to the New Testament first. The Old Testament has problems. And they do this with a host of other things. They start with the New Testament instead of starting with the Old Testament. They have a mindset. It's taught. It's a paradigm that the Old Testament is deficient. It's lacking. It can't really teach us much. The New Testament comes along and changes all of the problems with the Old Testament. So it is believed. But we here at this assembly, we should know better than that. We know better than that. The Old Testament is not deficient. It is sufficient. And it is not only sufficient, it is foundational. The Old Testament is foundational. Now the New Testament certainly comes along and builds on the foundation of the Old Testament. I'm not denying that. But not by taking a sledgehammer and destroying the foundation. Rather, the New Testament comes along and builds a square and proper structure because the Old Testament foundation was so perfect and was so beautiful. Anything that we read in the New Testament that appears on the surface to contradict the great ministries of women like Miriam and Deborah, that should be harmonized with the Old Testament, not the other way around. That's my sermon for today. And next week, we're going to do something very similar. We're going to look at two more women who are women prophets. We're going to look at Prophet Huldah, who is even more obscure than Deborah. If you think people don't know who you're talking about when you say Deborah, try telling them about Huldah. Not many men know about Huldah, but she's a great female prophet in Israel. And we're also going to talk about Anna who's actually still classified in the Older Testament as a prophetess, but she's actually mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. So we'll talk about Hulda and Anna next week.